You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello and welcome to Rainstop Play. Lots to get stuck into this week as the Ashes debacle finally comes home to roost. After three sackings in as many days, we ask how England should rebuild this year, take you around the grounds with updates on the Pakistan Super League, India's ODI series against the West Indies, England managed to lose the Ashes for the second time this year, and for the first time on this podcast, India have won a trophy. Never mind that it's only the under-19s, I'll take whatever I can get. All that plus a weekly pitch inspection, tweet of the week, and a bit of Wordle-themed fun in part two. No Dan this week, but hello to Glenn. All right, Will, that was a really snappy uh, intro you drummed up at short notice. I'm impressed. (laughs) Thank you very much, and hello to Zach. Hello. Let's get straight into it. Bit of a weird one with the Ashes. Sort of nothing was happening for quite a long time, and then all of a sudden, in the space of three days, director of cricket Ashley Giles is gone. Head coach Chris Silverwood is gone and pretty unsurprisingly, Graham Thorpe following them out the door. Um, Glenn, what do you make of, of all this chaos? Are they the right decisions? And does anybody else need to pay with their job? Um, yeah, it's a it's a great question, uh, Will. And yeah, it seems to have happened all quite quickly. Um, we were waiting and waiting. And I think as, as soon as the first head started to roll, the others followed with it. Um, yeah, it's it's needed right you just can't you can't treat test cricket the way it's been treated uh we you know we don't need to go into nuances of that it's a hot topic discussion that we always go into but the bottom line is people had to people had to move on um clearly there were issues at the heart of the ecb i think my concern is you know getting rid of the coaches sure fair enough but it's not going to necessarily change um, the malaise at the heart of the ECB. Um, you know, we talked about that at length with with uh, the author Duncan Stone recently. I'd advise anyone listening to uh, give that uh, a listen as well if they haven't already. We really got into the kind of nitty gritty regarding the ECB's failure uh, time and time again uh, for, for English cricket in a, in a lot of different ways. And I think it speaks for itself, right? The fact that coaches... Um, you know, selectors in the last year or two have all been pushed out. But Tom Harrison, uh, you know, chief executive officer 
officer of the ECB, uh, you know, the buck should stop with him. And, you know, the same way Operation Save Big Dog, uh, Boris Johnson remains uh, static while everyone around him walks off. It feels pretty similar, in my opinion, to to Harrison kind of just standing there and trying to weather the storm. And he has denied, uh, to use his own words, that he's clinging on for grim death, which is a phrase that Will and I adored. I mean, if you're saying that publicly, let's be honest, your position doesn't seem particularly tenable. So, yes, while, of course, Silverwood and co, I mean, Thorpe had that embarrassing video, uh, which was just ridiculous felt very schoolboyish didn't didn't sense that he was a senior member of the staff the way the whole kind of drinks were treated uh nothing wrong with having a few drinks after a game i actually love that just don't film it and then it gets leaked so that was very silly and his the writing was on the wall for him then uh and silverwood i mean him too uh it's quite clear that he had to go uh we we critiqued uh alongside the whole cricket community his ludicrous post-match interviews during during uh, the ashes when he was trying to see some bright spots from being skittled out for i think under 80 again um so yeah he had to go um someone else has been been lopped off as well uh yeah it, it had to Ashley giles Ashley giles but yeah there you go so yeah Brilliant. giles took the fall that arguably harrison should have i mean yeah we should clear them all out but am i convinced that this is going to be some miraculous restructuring of, of english cricket absolutely not of course not it's more the kind of playing it's a lot of the stuff it's the people dealing with the players as opposed to the actual system the fundamentals that that harrison has made mistake after mistake after mistake you can look at the hundred you can look at the way pakistan were treated with the uh, with that cancelled tour many many issues that he has um overseen recently they speak for themselves and he's still there so sure clear out the useless coaching staff but he should go too yeah zach it does feel pretty noticeable that a lot of people are going but neither the top dog is going nor at the moment any of the players are being really held accountable for the australian disaster we know that joe root is going to captain at least the west indies series and, and probably beyond i mean how do you think these changes go as far as we need to or do you want to see more personnel changes it's a tough one. I think with the with the players, you know, I think we'll lose some of them. But who's going to replace them? We just, you know, we don't have we don't have good players coming through. The senior players, some of them will lose soon enough. I think the main thing we have to do is we need to split up the the test and the one day coaching, and it's something other teams are looking into. And Australia might might do it as well. And we definitely need to do it. You know, get someone. I've heard Gary Kirsten mentioned as you know being a potential candidate. He was he was nearly got it last time, and then Silverwood did a really nice PowerPoint presentation, so that got him the job. And you know, it's interesting that he managed to be the T20 coach when he lost more games than he won when he was coach Vessex, and he managed to do it for so long. And I think the white ball stuff. He obviously didn't do that much for the white ball team, did he? Let's be honest. The white ball team runs itself under Owen Morgan. That does actually lead me on nicely to what I think we should do. How often do we see in cricket the kind of player coach scenario that you see sometimes in football? You know, give it Giggsy till the end of the season. How about we give it Morgan and give it Jimmy till the end of the season? Definitely Morgan. Give it Morgan and then he can retire after the World Cup from international duty and then he can just keep playing. He can keep playing some franchise leagues, but be the white ball coach. 
that's what I like. The Red Bull coach, you know, maybe we'll give it Jimmy for a bit, just, just you know, works for a bit, doesn't it? And then and then give it to uh, Kirsten. I like it. I like the ambition because it's somebody. I can't, who who was it that suggested recently that the, that Root should be sacked as captain and you just rotate it between Broad and Anderson for the next year until you hire somebody permanently? It, it I've was seen just, a lot of Broad. I've seen a lot of Broad lot for captain of broad. chat. And and you know where I think I first heard that from Stuart Broad. No, I, I think actually we said it before Stuart Broad did himself. <laughs> we definitely said it really early on, and we were all oh. like, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Chris Wokes though, maybe. Oh, that would be lovely, wouldn't it? Morgan Morgan seems totally logical, except that Moeen famously said he doesn't think Morgan would be a very good coach. And I tend to agree with Moeen on, on all things. So who knows? Wow. By the time you're listening to this, we should have or very shortly have the England squad announcement for the West Indies tour. So we can't dive too much into player selection because that will be obsolete by the time you listen to this. Um, but we do know that Paul Collingwood will be the head coach for that. Um, Glenn, do you think there's any chance of him being a permanent appointment? Uh, no, I'd be surprised if he was permanent. Uh, again, to, to to borrow Zach's football analogy, you know, when the assistant uh, gets the main job, it's always rosy for about two weeks, and then it goes to it often, often, not always, goes downhill afterwards. Um, Zach, Zach might disagree. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying, I, I, early prediction for the West Indies series, we're going one nil up. Then is that what you're saying? absolutely one nil up <laughs> and then uh, and then it falls apart but um yeah i think he is a smart call for this series you know somebody the players like the players trust uh i was reading some of the comments probably got on air on the on the bbc sports story and just a load of people were criticizing collingwood's like record in tests it was just like the most irrelevant discussion ever They're like oh he was a mediocre bat and ball but a good fielder i was like who cares <laughs> like he knows he knows the setup inside out that you know i, I reckon not that I have any inside track on this, but I reckon the players will trust, if not respect him, um, and he'll just get the job done, right? It's a, I, I, to answer your question, no, I don't. I think he's too close to this setup right now, slash potentially lacking some of that real, you know, big big team, big nation experience in the coaching round. But as a kind of transition figure, I think he he ticks the box, right? You know, you got Strauss, you got Collingwood. You know, I do have a bit of an issue with it getting very insular. I know it's been a debate for many years now that we had a run of having coaches um, who weren't English and there was a, a deliberate point made to actually flip that around and focus on uh, on getting English coaches in. Uh, hence, you know, part of the Silverwoods uh, and I think Peter Moores um, as well. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I think maybe someone who's completely outside the setup moving forward. Obviously, Justin Langer has just resigned. Uh, he says resigned. It felt like he was pretty much kind of nudged out. I think allegedly might have just been a, a short term contract potentially on the table that he didn't want. Uh, you know, talk about success. This guy in the last six months has just has just, um, you know, run the world cricket. Right. Demolished us in the ashes. Um, Australia you're looking at you're know, looking at Australia's wider T20 success. Nobody except me saw them winning the T20 World Cup. So they've had a, and I won't let that go. Uh, they've had an extraordinary six months. And again, you know, there's off the field stuff. And I think it was fascinating how big players uh, such as Cummins didn't publicly back him. I think that spoke spoke for itself. That said a lot that they wouldn't go out. They were busy writing about the climate for the Guardian, which we'll get onto a little bit later. But um, yeah, I, I would, I personally, people can very, very welcome to disagree. I would love to see Langer. He's, you know, he's got experience coaching um, in England. He's got experience at the best level uh, in the world of Australia. And he's a bit, he's a bit of a hard ass, right? This is why it seems like potentially some of the Aussie players have had enough of him. He runs a pretty tight ship. And I think 
that's my, you know, that just kind of just a bit of a kick is kind of what this England England team need, just a bit of motivation and a figure that doesn't kind of huddle around looking all sad and sorry for himself like Chris Silverwood. There was no leadership there. So, yeah, let's get Langer in. That's that's my take. Wow. Right. I've got about four replies to that. First of all, you, you sound a little bit like some of the guys in the replies to the uh, Guardian article by Pat Cummins that were telling him, stick to the cricket, mate. Um, which is genuinely what I saw. <laughs> also, I no, I, I disagree. I don't think we should get Langer in at all because, first of all, apparently he took way more of a back seat before the T20 World Cup and they just stopped listening to him and they started coaching themselves and that's why they started winning. That's, there's been multiple reports of that. So the less he does, the better a team does. I wouldn't, I just still don't, I, if we were to give him the job, it would be the white ball job for me. He did well at the Perth Scorchers, like you say. I think his intensity, and you know, he's a hard ass, works for white ball. I don't necessarily think it works for test in that way. And also his test record isn't very good. He, he won, wow, wow, he won an Ashes series mm-hmm. against, you know, in, in, not in England. He didn't win one in England. He should have. They should have beaten us in 2019. He, they also should have beaten us in the, in this last Ashes series, and, and they did. So that was pretty predictable. They lost to India twice during his tenureship. I'm pretty sure he was, he was in charge the last time they lost to them as well. And it's the idea, the kind of narrative with him at Australia is he, oh, they had such a, they, was, they were at their absolutely lowest point when he took over. And they might have been at a pretty bad point because of the whole sandpaper gate. But it wasn't that they were a bad point in the fact they had bad players. Okay, they didn't have Smith and Warner for a year, but they came back and they came straight back in and and did pretty well again. They've had, you know, one of the best bowling attacks in the world the whole time. They're a very good side, but they've not, you know, they've not won everything. I know they've not played away from home, but it also does mean Justin Langer hasn't lost a series away from home in over three years, which is pretty impressive. He's also not won one. It goes hard one way or the other, doesn't it? Just in Langer, England. There's absolutely no middle ground. Personally, I feel like the fact that he's been unemployed for less than 24 hours and he's already openly in the mix for the England job, like Andrew Strauss has been out talking about how he thinks he'd be a candidate. That to me suggests that they're very, very interested in him. Um, and I think, to be honest, I think why not? Like English cricket has pretty much as close to rock bottom as the, as you can get at this point why not throw somebody in with a different perspective who's going to maybe who is going to tell some of the players they need to get their act together maybe that's what this particular England side needs and it rubs Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood up the wrong way because they don't really need coaching <laughs> yeah and I, I mean there's, there's just a part of me you know the theatrical uh you know nature of this you know Langer versus Oz I, it, I, it does it does something for me. It, it makes it, it makes me very excited for an Ashes series in a way in which, you know, I obviously none of us really have been, at least for the last year or two. And I do want to point out, like, he does have, you know, experience, um, you know, being in England with Middlesex and Somerset. So, you know, he's the outsider figure, but he has genuine experience um, playing his trade in the country. Yeah, Zach, you made some great points. I, I truly don't disagree with them. This, I'm certainly not just like, you know, Langer is the only option or anything. I, I think he would be an interesting one. I think he'd be an exciting one. But, you know, yeah, he did lose the dressing room. Right. So there is concerns about, um, you know, 
leadership to that extent um whether he you know when things start going wrong um which they will do from pretty much day one they've already gone wrong uh, is he the kind of person to turn a team around uh potentially um so yeah no zach I'm, I'm you know i'm glad you raised those points yeah it's definitely not an open shut case but will i think he will get offered the job that's i'll, I'll happily say that on record i think they're going to give him an offer and it'll be up to him to turn it down or not that's pretty much in the media today as well so we'll see but I, I like what Zach said about the white ball as well. That could be maybe a, a kind of middle ground here. I think that as well. I think they're probably going to offer it to him. And he, and he may well turn it down on the basis that he sounds like he's a bit exhausted and w- would appreciate some time off. But I can certainly see it happening and it would make the next Ashes very, very exciting. We'll have to wait and see. We know they need to hire a permanent director of cricket to replace Ashley Giles, whatever Ashley Giles was doing. Somebody else needs to do it um, and then hire a new head coach after that. So it could be a few weeks or even months yet. Speaking of the Ashes, Zach, there is an Ashes happening at the moment, the women's Ashes, and unfortunately, we, we've managed to lose it again. What's going on? Uh, yeah, so we had, last time we spoke, they played all of the, t- well, no, no, they played the test match, sorry, they, did, they played one of the T20Is, didn't they, and that got rained off. So we've had two of the ODIs, and England, as we mentioned last week, England needed to win all three to have a chance of winning the Ashes back because obviously if they draw the series Australia retain the Ashes because they won them in 2019 in the first ODI they they actually they got pretty close they bowled Australia out for 205 and you know you bowl Australia out for 205 you'd expect at points their win viz was up at about 80 percent and they, they they just couldn't really get a partnership together Nat Siver did pretty well top scoring with 45 there was a, a slightly dodgy no ball call that changed the game at one point and it was uh, Amy Jones. Amy Jones got out, caught, and it was. It looked like it was definitely a no ball, um, and it wasn't given as a no ball. And it was lots of there was lots of controversy on Twitter around that. And yeah, England ended up falling short by 27 runs, getting bowled out. Catherine Brunt scored 32 as well. Yeah, just a bit poor, but it was all you know. The Australian bowlers are very good. This is a very good Australia side, and Darcy Brown was the. Uh, main wicket taker for that taking four fur and she she looks really good really young another another australian quick coming through really definitely the team to beat coming when we go to new zealand in about in about a month's time and yeah in the second game again england really didn't didn't look at the races in this one got bowled out for 129 and australia they lost five wickets chasing it but it was never really it was never really on and yeah, now that meant we lost the series after the first game meant we, uh, we we couldn't retain the ashes. Yeah, thanks for that summary, Zach. Really, um, really concise and handy. Yeah, uh, I was following both of these. Um, massive shame, really. Once again, this is obviously a problem, as we all know, for English women and the English men batting collapses i just did a quick uh head count i think uh, i may be one off here but i think 12 of the batters across these two games got out for uh single digit scores right so under 10 which is pretty atrocious um you as you rightly pointed out zach uh, it, it was pretty close the first game uh, the wind vis is really fascinating that it was that high i thought there was a really good chance we'd do it and that was the thing right as I mentioned in the last part, I did not think for a second we're going to win three ODIs against the best ODIs, one of the best in the in the world uh, right now. But had we at least won the first, A, that would give us a win in the Ashes, which between both teams we have not got um, so far. Uh, and we won't unless we win the one that's, that's actually going to start about 11 p.m. tonight in uh, UK time. Um, so that would have got us off going. The fact that we couldn't make it 
Uh, couldn't see that one off. I think uh, the writing was on the wall for the second game. And yeah, to be, you know, 129 all out, that's pretty pitiful. Uh, Sophie Eccleston, who's who's really come through with some really excellent innings um, across this um, across this Ashes, um, top scored down at number nine with 32. And yeah, it was just um, it was just a shame that it um, that it kind of ended uh, on a whimper basically you know what i mean like that's that's what it that's what it came down to same same thing that happened just a couple of weeks ago for the men uh we just just fell apart and i know australia are good and i know the england women have have worked really hard and and had that test match right we all said at the time had we just made that record test chase that would have changed the whole balance of the ashes i could have seen us pull something out of the bag in these odis coming it, it being coming down to relying on these no chance that was in my, at least in my opinion was never on the book so i'm not surprised by these two losses but the manner in which that final one uh unfolded was a real shame i think i think we're better than that and i think the players knew that too i think they were really disappointed afterwards yeah completely completely agree everyone did seem seem pretty disappointed and yeah we weren't we can't have expected to beat australia in this format or, or really the test and i think that's that's almost what makes it more dif- more disappointing i think before before starting this it was like okay the, our, our chance is going to come in these t20s straight away and then you know if we get a draw in the test probably quite a good result and the fact that we obviously the, the t20s were a washout so then england wouldn't have had that much hope and then they there's been so much hope because they got so close in the test match and we're in a really good position in that in that first ODI as well. So I think, yeah, lots of disappointment. Positives to take, though. I think they will still, you know, obviously Australia are by far and away the best women's side. So they will still have a good chance at, you know, making it to the semi-finals or, you know, even maybe make it to the final when then you never know in, in the World Cup to come. So, yeah, still hope. Still hope. And, and the good news is, as you say, World Cup right around the corner. So, um can immediately improve the mood if they go on and have, have a good result there. That must kick off in less than a month now, right, Zach? I think it's about the 5th of March. 5th of March. Uh, and we will have a preview coming out of that at some point. Keep your eyes peeled. It'll happen. Um, right. Keeping on going around the grounds then. So much cricket happening this week as ever. Um, so we start with my personal favourite, Zach. I, I was I was out all day on Saturday, so I didn't watch it. Um, but India won a World Cup. Um, Raj Bauer took a fifer in the final man of the match performance from him um, but some pretty good performances from a couple of the England lads as well yeah you know so so since we've last since we last spoke we had the the semi-finals and the final of the under-19 world cup like you said and India ended up winning the final against England and and they both came through their semi-finals well India came through very comfortably against um Australia uh you know, winning by about over 100 runs. Vicky Ostwald taking wickets again, uh, as he has done basically every game apart from the final. And it, England's game against Afghanistan was was pretty pretty close. England managed to scrape it to about 230, which you thought was going to be a winning total, but then Afghanistan had a really good partnership and it ended up being pretty close. But yeah, this final, England were really really struggling to, with the bat. Bauer got a five for like you said. He's definitely going to get a big IPL deal. No doubt about that. Heard it here first because he also scored a massive hundred earlier in the tournament. So he he bat. I thought he bats batted more than he bowls, and then you know goes to take a five for Somerset youngster James Rue was the uh, the story of the day for England though, scoring ninety five from England's one hundred and eighty nine, which is a bit of a shame. But we also had um, young 
left arm seamer who I'm a big fan of as a as a left arm seamer myself. Josh Boyden uh, plays for Lancashire. He's been really good throughout the tournament and took a wicket in the first over and it was like, oh, maybe, maybe yeah, we, but- we might defend this. Boyden's the one where anytime I go on Twitter during this tournament, I see people tweeting Boyden in all caps, and that's it. He's always taking wickets. So, taking a step back for a second to the big picture, you obviously did a phenomenal preview of of the Under-19 tournament um, a couple of weeks ago. How has it played out overall? Is there any star names that we should look forward to for the future that surprised you, or any one that you, you predicted would do well and smashed it? Well... Interesting to note that the the guy that Ronan said would be top run getter was top run getter very, very comfortably. This is baby A.W. Villiers. This is baby A.W. Villiers. The guy who I said would have a really good tournament, but then bottled it and didn't predict him to get top wicket taker, got top wicket taker, which, you know, pretty good going. I said Vicky Ostwell would be very good and he was, you know, took 12 wickets at 3.6. The one who I'm a bit disappointed in is Harnal Singh, who um, we said we, we said before, you wanted me to tell you who was going to be the next Shubman Gill, and I said it's probably going to be this bloke. He was quite disappointing. I think he was the one who... No, he wasn't the one who got out for a duck in this one, but yeah, opened the batting, didn't have the tournament he would have hoped for. Also, Pakistan, there was a Pakistan seamer who I really liked before the tournament because quite, quite a few of these players, there's no there's a lot of, there's not that much data on them. But this guy had played like a couple games of um of the T10, so I watched a bit of his bowling, and then uh, he really wasn't very good, which is quite disappointing. But yeah, I think it it shows that the Indian system is brilliant because they just keep producing so many good players, and also it's definitely a benefit of the the way the 50 over competition is done now in the UK because all of our players have got proper professional 50 over experience and. That will only continue with the way that they're doing this. So the hundred must must be a good thing. It must have been what the ECB were thinking at the time. Great stuff. We love how the hundred is good. Actually, take um, you mentioned just quickly. You mentioned the uh, obviously IPL auction this coming weekend. Now Raj Bauer looking like getting a big deal. Is anyone else we should keep an eye out for that? I I think Vicky Ostwell, who I mentioned previously, he's slow left armour, really good economy. Went went at like three point six throughout the tournament. So he's definitely one to keep an eye on. Another another good slow left arm, you know, T20 bowler from India. I think there's a lot of a lot of teams looking for looking for spinners, and obviously domestic spinners are very popular. So I think he'll be very he'll go down really well. Also, uh, Banner hit 20 from four balls against Australia at the end of the innings. It was it was like he was playing stick cricket, two sixes, two fours. So if you can do that, then he might be quite good at T20 cricket. It's the hard thing with it. If it, if this was a T20 tournament, I think you'd see so many more of them. But even looking at Bauer, who was who scored at quite a good rate for 50 over cricket, he was still only striking about 100. So it's quite hard to tell which which of these players will work best in T20 cricket. Because, for example, like we mentioned, Harnal Singh, he definitely seems like he's suited to the longer formats. And um, this is a really good summary. I, I, I love the preview and I've, I've learned a lot, I think, from from our conversation, Zach. Obviously, we're talking about the, the England setup as well, how, how dismal our lack of talent is. You know, we just mentioned a few minutes ago, like we have no captaincy options, et cetera, et cetera. If you had to pick, it's always a bit of a cliche question, but if you did have to pick maybe one or two of the England players that really flourished in this tournament to be kicking on and maybe making an appearance in, in, in the 
not the short term, but in the nearer future, who, who are the names that come to mind from this England setup? So I think it's hard to it's hard to look past Twitter's favourite person, Rayan Ahmed, for this. And I think that is partly because he, he didn't play every game in the tournament and he played four games. And in those four games, he took he took a four for three times, which is pretty good going, isn't it? And he's on, he's only 17. And I think I have no stats to back this up. I think his googly spins more than anyone else's googly in the whole world. He absolutely rags a googly sideways. It's so it just it just oh, I mean, I don't think there's many things better than watching the clip of someone playing for a playing for a leg break and then it's just absolutely ragging the other way. So he's he there's some really great clips of him doing that. He was he was really expensive in the in the Afghanistan game in his first spell, but then he came back and bowled at the death and, and took three wickets in in about ten balls or something. So he's kind of the one I think is gonna get a lot of coverage and with him he plays for Leicestershire and with him playing for Leicestershire, then being a smaller county you'd hope that he can get more of a chance than say, I don't expect Josh Boyden to get that many games for Lancashire in the near future, you know, with their bowling attack in the, in the 50 over comp potentially, but he's never even played in the 50 over comp yet. The other one has to be captain Tom Prest, who was one of the top run getters in the tournament also bowls spin. And he's played quite a lot for Hampshire recently. He played, he batted at three in I think about six or seven of their blast games last year when they had, Darcy Short and James Vince opening and then, you know, young Tom Press batting at three. So, and, you know, he's been quality in this and he's played a couple of first class games as well. So he's definitely one that I think will play probably quite a lot of cricket this summer. Yeah, and just look at the scorecard. Press, unfortunately, didn't trouble the scorecard with a bat. But he, as you said, Zach, he he bowled his spell. He bowled a full 10 overs and he had the best economy. He went under three and over. So to be able to do both things to such a high degree, he's not batting six and bowling five overs. He's he's maxing out on both pretty much. So, yeah, some really great picks. Thanks, Zach. I'm, I'm going to be keeping a look at them over, over the season as we get into the county game in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, sorry, I, I can't move away from this section without mentioning Jacob Bethel as well, who hit, who's the guy who hit um, 88 from about 40 balls in the quarterfinal against South Africa. That sort of hitting, you know, is exceptional. And I really hope he, you know, is able to play T20 cricket in the summer, maybe. Or, you know, I, I'm, obviously, I just want the Somerset guys to do well, though. And he's, he's not one of those. And I haven't mentioned any of them, but they're all quite good, too. And Somerset can't bat. So having a couple of good uh, young batters come through is sort of a good thing. If people have, have, have got this far into range top play, they will know we don't apologise for our Somerset bias. This is just what you get. <laughs> uh, great stuff. Thanks, Zach. That was a fantastic summary. Um, finally, in Around the Grounds. Glenn, is, this, is new, your, this is your routine now. You love, a, you love a Monday afternoon Pakistan Super League just before a podcast record. Um, and happily, we've, we've just watched Jason Roy slap a century. It gets me in the groove. Like it's, uh, I was just saying before we came on air. Um, I haven't seen as much as I would have liked. Uh, again, I'm not a particularly morning person, but um, the games I have seen is, have been fantastic. The atmosphere has been really great. Uh, great, and the quality of cricket in the in the PSL so far uh, has been pretty exceptional. And it's really interesting to get some of the players who were part of the the England setup, obviously in the West Indies, pretty much get on a plane fly pretty much straight into the tournament and Jason Roy hit uh you know a strike rate of about 200 he smashed about 
116 or something uh, in around 50 balls. And it, according to the commentators, he was still jet lagged. He barely slept because it was a massive time difference between the Caribbean and, and Pakistan. Right. So, yeah, to see it, it was quite uh, quite funny to see him and Vince batting together, who had quite literally shared a, shared a, the wicket together over in the West Indies. And, yeah, you know, I've you know, we talked to Hamad um about it on the last episode and he gave us the kind of really good introduction into the tournament uh he's had a real tough time with karachi kings have been atrocious and they've lost and they're my team my adopted team now and they've lost all five of their games so that's been tricky um but yeah as a spectacle as a tournament i i felt a real affinity for it i think i've been really impressed with it and yes you're right well it's a great way to segue into our podcast because we we watch the game uh and then we we hit we hit record so it's been a lot of fun for me so far yeah and zach one of one of the funny quirks of this i've adopted lahore as my team and of course as, as soon as i watch a game they immediately start losing um but they keep failing to defend 200 run targets despite having shaheen afridi and rashid khan in their team what, what, what is going on yeah and harris ralph who always gets those applauds because he just bowls really really fast but is also quite expensive it's very strange isn't it because I, I, you look at the scorecards and you're like oh the other guys must be really bad but actually shaheen's shaheen's going for quite a few rashid khan's He's obviously still not going for that many, but he's going at like eight and over, which for Rashid Khan is like so many runs. Like seeing him get like one for 32 is like what that just doesn't happen, does it? It's usually like either you take him for naught for 25. And it's because we've always talked about how sunrisers have got him and then the rest of the bowling attack is awful. But this isn't the case for Lahore. And it, but it it's fine be because he's a batting all rounder now exactly he is a batting all-rounder now 54 runs 270 strike rate and before today he hadn't been dismissed yet don't know if he batted today uh just staying staying on Rishi Khan um something I thought was interesting the game that just finished today um he he bowled what was a really nice googly and I know I know you you appreciate good googly Zach uh and uh hit the pads of the of the batter and uh Rashid Khan went up for a appeal and just and he just reviewed it and he didn't consult the captain. I was just going to ask you both, A, have you seen that before? B, what's the kind of etiquette? Because at least surely consulting the captain, even if you're like, I'm going to go for it, didn't even give him a glance as far as I could tell. Well, also, my thinking is the umpire shouldn't accept that as going for a review. I was going to ask not, you it's that. not the captain's mm. job. No, yeah. no, because I think I've seen it before where the where the wicketkeeper or the or the bowler has done that. But it's not down to them. It's the captain's decision. So, yeah, it was really weird that they went straight up for it. It's like it's like the umpire was like, oh, it's Rashid Khan. Obviously, we're going for it. <laughs> and and of course, he goes up. He, he does the uh, he does it himself. Of course, it's not out. It's missing missing leg by a mile. <laughs> <laughs> what, one of one of the best players in this in this thing so far has been Lahore's Fakas Aman, who his lowest score so far is 38. 38 was his lowest score. And he scored that from about 25 balls. He's just so consistent. The only other time he's not passed 50 in a game was he scored 48. And today he scored another 70 from 45, but it, it wasn't enough. And it, he looked like he was really struggling. And then, you know, Jason Roy made it look like no one should struggle again on this pitch. And it's been good to see uh, Shadab Khan play really nicely. Zach, have you have you seen much of him? What what's been your take? Obviously, leading the wicket, leading the wickets uh, haul at the minute, and batting quite well as well, as far as I can tell. Absolutely, yeah. Top wicket taker so far. Also, the seventh highest run scorer, striking at 182, and also yeah, 14 wickets and economy of six is just really silly. What a player. He also he keeps taking really nice catches as well. So 
I've no idea how, how many catches he's taken, but I feel like I've seen a couple which were, were very good. It's almost as good an all-rounder as, as Kushdil Shah is these days, who he's batting at five for Multan. He's not getting much of an opportunity because Multan, Multan are basically really, really good. If you haven't been watching, they're just so good. And they've got Rizwan and Shah Massoud both averaging over 50 at the top of the order. And they are second and third top run getters after Fakazaman. So he's so batting at five, you don't get much of a chance, particularly when you've got Tim David, who will come on to batting above you. But Kushtil's currently batting at five. He's striking at 289 when he does get a go. And he's only been bowl- he's only been out once. Other than that, though, he has actually been bowling a lot more. He doesn't bowl usually. He's actually bowled more. He doesn't bowl that much normally. He's actually bowled more in this edition of the PSL than he has in the last two combined. And he's taken nine wickets at an economy of under six so far. And he doesn't, he's a quite a strange slow left armour. So he's used as a matchup against um, right-handers. For example, when they played, I think it was Quetta, he bowled three overs in the power play just because they had lots of right-handers. And it worked. And he, he's, a lot of the time when you get a slow left armour who's a bit of a part-timer, they just dart it in and bowl really quickly. Whereas he he doesn't be. He also doesn't try and spin it really either. He kind of just bowls really, really slowly, quite flighted, and it just drifts so far in. And it's kind of been a bit of a trend for the tournament that the the slower bowlers have just been taking away more wickets and the, even the slower versions of the spinners have been taking more wickets at a better economy than the faster spinners. And then the paces have just been getting smashed around, even though obviously there's some brilliant paces. One of those paces he's been getting smashed around recently is, is poor Saqib Mahmood, unfortunately. He uh, he got taken for two two consecutive sixes by by Tim David, who's another member of the Multan Sultans team who has been really, really good and is averaging 81 at a strike rate of 221, which is just, it's just mental. He, he also, yeah, 50, 51 from 19, not out against poor Saqib Mahmood and 71 from 29 before that. So, yeah, wow. poor Saqib. And Tim David, he's definitely going to be in the Australia side come this uh, T20 World Cup. He's played international cricket for Singapore, but he can he can play for Australia. So definitely should be there by, by the time the T20 World Cup rolls around in October. So, Zach, pretty clear, right? We've got a best team and a worst team at the minute. That's, that seems pretty obvious, right? Yeah, absolutely. Multan, Multan top of the table. Five, five from five. Karachi zero from five. And is Babarazam the problem? Is something I I almost tweeted on Friday and then decided Ooh. I really didn't want to help deal with the with the backlash of saying that. Is that discourse? I don't think is he is now. That? No, no, I don't want to say it. I've not said that. I don't, <laughs> he never I, said it. <laughs> I think he could be the problem because he's 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 in like the top five run getters for the tournament, but his strike rate is one eighteen, which is not good enough. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Baba's batting impact on average is minus three, which is for someone of his quality is not great, but also it does show you that it's not that bad because his the rest of his team was so bad at batting. Because the one time he did actually fail with the bat in a game the other day, they got bowled out for 135 because Baba didn't score 60 off of you know 60 balls he got out in uh, single figures. So yeah, it's not good for Karachi. They're not, they've played five games at home in Karachi. Now they're going to play the rest of the games away from home. Maybe the pressure of the home crowd. Maybe it's a bit like West Ham, where when West Ham didn't have fans in the ground, they were really good because the fans didn't get on top of them once they started losing. Love that. And 
that's the, the third slightly tenuous <laughs> football analogy of the podcast. Patrick. Someone else has been a lot of fun is Paul Sterling. But yeah, every now. time I look, oh, is he is he is he left? I can't quite work out. But yeah. is he is it an Ireland game or is he injured or something? I have no idea actually. I saw I just saw the oh, kind of look. team manager tweeting, "Been great to have you." Yeah, and off he goes. But I did see a story that he's he's putting himself into the IPL auction, and apparently Armida Bad are interested in having him open with Shubman Gill, which I think would be a lot of fun. That's so good. I absolutely love that. Um, yes, and to answer your question, Friday, February the 11th, so a couple of days, Ireland have UAE um, in a in a T20. Um, there's a there's a couple of couple of games they're playing against various teams. Right, that'll about wrap us up for the PSL. Quick note um, on another India game happening today to wrap up around the game the grounds. Um, they've got a short format series against the West Indies, three ODIs and three T20s. Um, it's not that interesting, so I won't come to either of you on it. India won very very comfortably with a slightly random 11 i don't think we particularly learned a whole lot jahel was back in and playing well which was nice he and washington sundar with the spin a few dodgy haircuts as zach pointed out washington sundar's bald and for some reason siraj is blonde unclear why it doesn't suit either of them when you for zach put it in our chat and i thought blonde siraj could could be a vibe no terrible um (laughs) My only disappointment from an India perspective, well, two things. One, Ishan Kishan was promoted to open with the express idea that India weren't scoring enough runs early on. He was supposed to be the experiment in scoring more quickly and instead scored 28 off 35 because they were only chasing 178. So that was a bit pointless. Um, And there was some talk that Shah Rukh Khan might play. He did very well for Tamil Nadu in the Vijay Hazari trophy recently and just got added to the ODI squad, um, but didn't play. We'll probably play the T20s next week, though. So that's something to keep an eye on. Right, that'll about wrap us up for part one. Thank you very much for listening. And when we come back, we will have a bit of news, pitch inspection, our tweet of the week. Welcome back. And just the one bit of news this week, because we're interested. Um, Zach, you, you reported a couple of, couple of podcasts ago, probably now, um, that young Mohammed Hasnain, who we love and bowls really, really quickly, um, had got in trouble for his action. And we have news on that now. Yeah, so he was having a test on his action. I don't, I, I'm not going to lie, I don't really know that much about these tests. I feel like we never, we never really know about them. I, what I do know is that it only actually bans you from international cricket. So yeah, he had the test, he he failed the test. And now he's, he's it means he's banned indefinitely from international cricket. He's also been banned from the PSL for this year which they didn't have to do, but I you know, kind of understand what they did do. It's it's one of those things where he doesn't he doesn't bowl necessarily with a bent arm. It's the bending the arm just before. It's like the straightening the arm just before you throw it. So that counts as it being because you get you can gain more speed from that is what I've read. Not this sure on the feels, biomechanics, though. It feels really harsh, doubly because he's so young. Right. It just feels kind of unnecessary. But also, I, I think I have a really strong talk sport take on this, which is if you can't tell by an eyeball test, then it makes no difference. Don't don't be putting them in like the strapped, you know, whatever, and do little lab tests on it. If you can't tell, it's probably fine, isn't it? Well, yeah. And also the worst thing about this is it doesn't happen. It never gets brought up unless it's an umpire picks it up in a game. So it's there's no technical like Hawkeye don't pick it up or anything like that. It's purely 
if if an umpire says it and because you know people used to get in like years ago people used to just get called for no balls for things like this uh like it used to happen loads in i'm talking like hundreds of years ago when like over on bowling first started and now i think that's kind of still the way although the umpire didn't call him for a no ball i think he just got reported after a game in which moses enriquez was sledging him saying nice chuck mate to which seems to have influenced it which is you know not the nicest thing to say to to a 21 year old who's an overseas player in your league not very nice taken down by a sledge (laughs) so what does he have to do now does he have to fix it and do some more tests and then he can get cleared yeah, so I, th- I think he would have to remodel it, which obviously takes it will probably take at least a year, and then he'll and then he'll have to do more tests, and then he could be cleared to play. That's so sad. That's tragic. Glenn, are you are you with me on my Talksport take on this? Yeah, I I am. I was just skimming through an ESPN article, just just seeing if there's any other interesting angles. Um, it's not the first time someone's been banned from the PSL for this. Uh, Mohamed Hafiz wasn't allowed um, to bowl in the 2016 uh, Pakistan Super League after the league decided to follow the ICC standards there on on his action, which is a shame. Yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, um, yeah, I haven't. I, I must have seen quite a bit of him. I think in the in the England series during the summer, but haven't seen him in a while perhaps the world cup last but yeah it didn't stand out to me right i did i've not not once have i seen him bowling and, and thought oh that action's you know in transgression of xyz laws and yeah it just seems a bit sad that a a player abused him and subsequently an umpire knocked on him and now he can't play cricket for a year i mean that's that's a bit sad isn't it uh yeah i guess the reasoning um for him not being allowed to play in this in this uh, psl is that they want to give him that time to fix the action so he can come back for pakistan that's got to be the positive hope right that they want him back in the national picture um but yeah very disappointing and for someone who was you know playing his trade to such a high level for so so young he's you know he's only just t- turned 21 really um massive disappointment so we're going to wish him the best and uh, hopefully we see him back sooner rather than later yeah we'll certainly hope that we see him back in time for for the next PSL hopefully fingers crossed right something a bit different for this week our pitch inspection this is a segment where we take one article that we think you'd be interesting to go away and read tackling some kind of issue in the world of cricket and I have to be honest I didn't I didn't see this one coming I put the link in our group chat and I said annoyingly Pat Cummins is, is just extremely likable and Zach quite correctly said it's not even annoying anymore because he's just so likable that he seems like a sound bloke. So that's fine. Um, and he's written in The Guardian uh, this week about how cricket can respond to the climate crisis. Yeah. So it's a really good piece from Pat. I don't know if he wrote it all himself. I'm presuming there was some some we'll credit him shadowing for it. or yeah, we'll credit him for it. There's no mention of anyone doing it, doing it for him. I did see some jokes about that flying around on on Twitter you know, amongst cricket journalists, because what can't he do? Our Pat. Uh, if you can now save save the planet. So the whole idea is about funding solar panels for cricket clubs in Australia because it means they can save the money. And, you know, with Australia's kind of position and the major climate events they've had over the last few years with wildfires and, and flooding and the like, cricket can't, cricket can't be played in, in these conditions. You know, no sport really can, but I feel like cricket, because it's played in summer, is is at kind of the extreme end of this and i like the idea of the whole thing it sounds good and if it gets more people thinking about the climate crisis and then acting upon that it's a good thing my my main issue is 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 who is one of the main backers with this initiative and that is a commonwealth bank who 
as a bank, as, as most banks do, they, they invest very heavily in fossil fuels and in the oil industry. And they actually are the biggest investor amongst Australian banks in fossil fuels. So that, you know, it's not surprising they're investing in this. And obviously it looks good for them. They are one of the main sponsors of Cricket Australia. I'm not saying Cricket Australia should just sack off that money. They do need that money from them. But them backing a thing, you know, why can't they just stop investing in fossil fuels? That would do more than that would that would do way more than than this will unfortunately but it, it, i'm just being cynical as always it slightly undermines the message i think you're right um there's two things that that i do like about this article one is that um they don't shy away from the immediate impacts that that climate has on on the game which is obviously probably more noticeable in australia than countries like britain um so he talks about um a time that he turned up to watch a sheffield shield game at the scg and couldn't see the ball because the smoke was so thick um, with all the wildfires going on and he referenced the time which i'd sort of forgotten that in, in 2018 joe root batted through the day when it was it about it reached 47 degrees c apparently um and he was later admitted to hospital after batting um so i like that it, it doesn't shy away from the immediate focus on all of these issues um you know they're not some kind of long-term future thing that we have to work on but but they're directly affecting how the game is played now um that was a big issue for the for the olympics last year as well that the temperatures were just too high to feasibly play all of these sports in these places and the second thing that i like was was that they they don't sort of dive too far down what lots of these schemes do where they they're a good headline and they sound good but but really they're about trying to individualize carbon footprints and let's offset our emissions somewhere by planting some trees somewhere else in the world pat and we'll we'll credit it to pat um rats writes quite well about that you know the, the need for an energy transition and using this money that will question where they're getting it from but they're using that money to go directly into uh, solar pa- uh, panels and resources that that will help in the game itself yeah i think just look at it in terms of i guess a net good right i think it's fantastic that he is obviously publicly writing this uh it's in the guardian so should get some some pretty good traction absolutely it's not a perfect scheme it's not going to magically solve these real fundamental issues of climate change it's still this kind of adapting model as opposed to actually holding the people who are responsible for this fully accountable as zach as zach pointed to but i i do think it is really important that um you know climate and um climate and sport you know are linked by people playing the game um, but people you know they've they, their website has a lot of the current australian men's and women's team members signed up for it adam zampa who is probably the person i'm least surprised this is yep. signed up <laughs> see this being a real passion project of his um it was quite funny i was reading this just before we went on air and i was half expecting uh pat to slip a line in about justin langer being a climate change denier in the middle <laughs> just, just to really stab the knife in like langer hates solar panels or something um but no, it's a it's a really interesting piece. It's a very quick read, nice and short. And I think he kept to the point. I think it's been it's been well constructed. It's a, it's a really good piece of writing. And yeah, you know, solar panels at cricket grounds is a good thing, and we should all support that. And he he says it well. So 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 power to him. Um, right from the serious to the extremely ridiculous. Um, Zach, there is a game called Wordle. I have never played it. Everyone else in the world has played it. It's the only thing that social media is used for nowadays. But happily, <laughs> as with all memes, somebody's made a cricket version. So there is a cricket version of of Wordle. It's called Nerdle, you know, because you can nerdle the ball around for a bit. You know, good good little play on words there. Uh, today's one was 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 pretty good. Uh, so have you, Glenn? You've played Wordle before. I'm going to presume the listeners know how to play Wordle. Usually, everyone's tactic seems to be you just start with the same word. 
So we guess a cricketer's name, is that right? Yeah. Oh, is it, so is it someone's name or a word? Yeah, yeah it could be first name or last name. I always start with your last name, by the way, Will. It's always my first guess. Oh, get yeah, as many letters in as you that can. That is a pretty good yeah. guess. Right, we're terrible at that game, but that exists. If you're bored on the internet and you're a cricket fan, you can play Nerdle. Um, more importantly, our regular game on this podcast. I think I actually know the answer to this one, Zach. Quick question. What was last week's? Yes, so last week's was the ICC was... a now known as the International Cricket Council, was originally founded by another name that also was the acronym ICC. What was it originally founded as? And it was originally founded in the very colonial name of... Wait, it's the Imperial Cricket Council, is it not? The Imperial Colonial Council. Imperial Cricket Conference. Conference. Okay, so conference is the one, because, you know, that was what we did back in those days wasn't it and obviously none of the none of the non-white nations were involved in the original nope. imperial cricket conference it then presumably did just australia australia new zealand england south africa is that it yeah absolutely yeah yeah and then obviously south africa went on to not want to play against any of the non-white nations for a long time and then they did eventually get banned for, for doing that but yeah so that wasn't a very you know not the best name bit mad where we've come from and now it's just it seems a bit strange that it is the same acronym i don't know to me there's, a, there's a lot strange. of merchandise somewhere that somebody didn't want to have to reprint yeah definitely definitely right well so done this, if you got that at home this week's so this week's quiz question relates to the under 19 world cup so baby ab de villiers scored 506 runs which is the most in a single under 19 world cup ever surpassing a certain current India player who scored 505 runs in 2004. Ooh. So, so 2004 ago. is the clue. So a while ago, he is just about a current India player. Is another clue I'll give you. I'm going to guess Pajara. Nope. I I don't think you'll get it. I think it's really hard. If is you've it not watched, Saha? Lots... <laughs> can you imagine? If you watch lots of the Under-19 World Cup, it's one of those things where they show loads of old players. So they definitely showed at least one of his... Yeah, he scored 155 not out at one point. Wow. They definitely showed that effect quite a lot. I was about to say I watched a young and ruin it then, but... <laughs> so they've got to be, what, 30, 33, 34 now-ish? Mm. Interesting. They're 36, which I could not 36. believe they're that old. 36, wow. I'm an in and around the current India team. Just about. Just about. Interesting. Well, I'm out of ideas. Great question. Um, that's another good one. You've, you've come through with them, Zach. On puzzlers every that's time. Great question. That's brilliant. Right, let us know if you get the answer to that. You can tweet us at rainstoppod. We'd love to know if you know more about cricket than us. It's not that hard. We put a low bar there for you. Um, but we're not here for good takes and knowledge. Well, Zach is. Glenn and I are just here for fun. Glenn, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you both. Lovely job hosting well as well. Zach, thank you very much. Thank you, Will. And thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, 
you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.